Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm your host, Frank, here with Byron. Uh, Byron, before we get into everything, let the listeners know why they should be listening to Politically Entertaining, why they should be subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, and Podbean. Well, first off, I just want to say we have been gone for a minute. So if you are tuning in, once again, we thank you. Uh, for those that are listening for the first time, Frank and I, man, we try to call it cover politics. Uh, we especially try to cater to those that don't follow politics on a daily basis. So we try to give it to you in little short doses real quick for you to listen to in less than an hour and keep you informed. And we also touch on some some pop culture and social issues as well, like this first issue. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Frank, we celebrated this nation's birthday, the 4th of July, Independence Day. Yet... A lot of white people were mad, man. A lot of white people were mad over uh, a, a black mermaid uh, and some shoes that most of them were never going to buy. Um, these Air Maxes that had the Betsy Ross flag on the back. Uh, Colin Kaepernick um, stepped in and said, hey, no, that's not something we should be doing. So my question to you is, you know, not. Of course, I hate I have to even say this, not all white people, but a lot of white people always tell us to get over slavery. Police brutality is not that bad. Get over racism. They always tell us to get over stuff when they seem to get easily upset about the most minute things like a black woman with a fishtail uh, called a mermaid. So why, why are they so easily upset? Man, I, that's, that's a great question, a hard question. And like I said, I don't want to stereotype because I think you know we, we you know one thing one thing we try not to do is too generalization like all white people. But as as by and large, it's understood when we say white people. I hope it is. You know, I hope we're not offending you. And if and if you are being offended, then you're probably one of the people that needs to listen to what we're saying. Um, I mean, the crazy thing is, I you know you know me. I, I will just start here. I'll say that you know historic. Ariel is a fictional character, right? I, as far as I know, I don't believe mermaids exist. I know that they made a movie about it. Uh, they're Pirates of the Caribbean, but I don't believe they exist. I'm not saying they do or don't. I'm just saying that there has been no recorded evidence that they exist. Jesus, however, regardless of whether or not you believe he's the son of God, and we're not going to get into that because this is not a religious show, but he did exist historically as a person. And he was not a European. It's clear from the time when he where he was born and where he would have been he would have been european yet the majority of portrayals of jesus christ who by and large part is one of the most is, is the most significant person if you're a christian he's the most significant person in history is portrayed incorrectly so i don't see the you know there's no outrage there so i mean i i just think it's a double standard i think that i think it's the it's the majority culture um taking taking umbrage with with things that they feel like they should be in control of and, and things that um, even though things are obviously whitewashed in, in, in a very uh, large way in this country, there's just this is not visible. It's a blind spot uh, for a lot of people. And so hopefully maybe this will open up some conversations about some of the double standards that exist rather than, you know, closing up and causing more, uh, div you know, division. I think that's the unfortunate thing about this country. And something we'll talk about a little bit later in our interview is that there's so much division in this country. Um, people can't even talk about things like it's OK if you don't know why Ariel should be black. Like, but don't be upset and, and understand that the precedent 
for having people, whether or not they're fictional or historical, being portrayed as a different race is something humans do because by nature, regardless of whether it's intentional, sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it's not, but we want the thing to look like or the person or whatever it is to look like us. And it makes us feel comfortable. And so, you know, by and large part, white people have been very comfortable in this country. And so that's why a lot of the, the things in the world, the movies, the TV, everything looks like them because that's what makes them comfortable, you know? So, uh, and that's not a knock. It's just a natural thing. If you ever watch the movie White Man's Burden, you'll see, I, I, I think it's one of the best movies, not because it was well acted or anything great about it, but it's just like, it just showed you that the nature, it's not the, it's not white people, it's the nature of people. White people are in a position where they're doing things that are, you know, negative sometimes, but it wouldn't be any different if it was another race. And so that's the main thing to understand is that we have to be able to talk across these divides and that these issues where sometimes a character is portrayed differently is a, is a chance for us to reconcile our issues rather than you know continue to um continue to be, be div- divided and we've seen this playbook before uh the same thing happened when they made uh the new the new annie and they had a black girl in it as well so this always comes up but i do want to say before we uh drop the music um those shoes that colin kaepernick uh opposed to uh, you know i get all that but um they look kind of dope not gonna lie, they look kind of they look kind of fly. But with that said, let's get into the show. Listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now, your hosts, Frank and Byron. Once again, I want to thank everybody for joining us on Politically Entertaining. Welcome back if you were a previous listener, and thank you for tuning in if this is your first time. As Frank said at the top of the show, we ask that you subscribe. We're on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, Google Play. For interviews, we even have uh, a YouTube channel for that as well. So please subscribe, give us a good rating, and, uh, you know, hear us discuss different topics like we're about to today. Starting off with a senator from Kentucky named Mitch McConnell. Now, Mitch McConnell is the majority leader of the Senate. Uh, He's a Republican from uh, Kentucky. And, fun fact, he has never lost an election from his days in Congress to his days in the Senate, he is he he doesn't know what be, uh, being defeated feels like, and he's usually a low key senator. He's very you know quiet. He doesn't speak much, but he did make some news recently on his comments about reparations and uh, kind of said to the extent where hey you know uh, we as a country are progressing. We elected a black president. Uh, I always love when conservatives throw that fact out there, but um. The Democrats, Frank, are now planning to make him the focal point of 2020, much like Republicans have done with Nancy Pelosi and, to a lesser extent, uh, Chuck Schumer of New York. They're, they plan on, uh, you know, demonizing him and, and using those comments and using the fact that he's not allowed a lot of uh, votes on the Senate floor. The majority leader 
gets to pick which votes come to the Senate floor. So it's a very powerful position. And he hasn't allowed a lot of things that uh, many Americans would like to see uh, come into law. And so the Democrats plan on making him a, uh, a focal point. Because he's so unknown, is this a strategy that you think is a, a winning one for the Democrats or should they, you know, pick a different uh, strategic measure for next year? Um, to me, the Democrats always come with the weakest playbook <laughs> ever. It's like it's like third and six. Let's 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 run a draw. Tell um, them how you feel. <laughs> um, to me, okay. So a couple things. I want before I answer that question. Back up. Mitch McConnell's a very very dangerous man from a standpoint of. I mean, if you're very conservative, I guess he's 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 great. But he's done a lot of harm with gerrymandering, appointing federal judges. He's done things that are going to be irreparable regardless of what they happen to. That's why I kind of say the Democrats come with a weak playbook because like the damage has been done or whatever um, Mitch McConnell has been operating behind the scenes, kind of like the Kawhi Leonard, Paul George trade. It's like the damage is done. It's like he's doing the damage behind the scenes. It's like, yeah, you out here parading and talking about this and that, but you know, there, there have been districts and, and, and federal judges in place. They're in place now that are, are going to shape policy regardless of whether or not he's reelected. So I think that his, his his effect his what he's done is 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 going to be felt long after he's gone. Um, regarding what the Democrats should do, I think they should try to find a candidate that they can get into the White House. I don't think that they should worry. I mean, I mean, yes, if you can handle the low hanging fruit of something that Mitch McConnell does, if you have something tangible that he's done, but it's just like him going against reparations is not going to be a big deal. I mean, we we talked at the opening of the show, the country's so divided. There's many people that don't care about reparations. Like, so what if somebody talks bad about reparations? Like, half the country doesn't care, half the country does. So it doesn't really do anything, right? Like, mm-hmm. unless they have him on tape saying, it's, I like to, you know, fondle little children, right? Like, something that everybody's going to get outraged about. Then you really, a lot of these issues that the Democrats are so, like, Democrats are playing politics like it's 1980s, right? Like, nobody's... Nobody's doing the whole respectability politics. Like people are just on one side or the other. They don't care. You know, once that Access Hollywood tape, Donald Trump came out and people just continued his support for him, it shows you exactly where people are. There's no moral standard. People have their own mind. People think things that I, I, I have people, and I tell you, I tell you with a straight face. I know we're not we're doing audio, but with a straight face, there is. I know, I know somebody who thinks that. There were WMDs in Iraq, and that the media lied to make Bush look bad. <laughs> I'm I'm dead serious. This person wasn't is is an adult. They were my senior. They were somebody who was in a position of hiring and recruiting people. So they were not, you know, uh, you know, it weren't just some person, you know, on a forum. You know, it was like I knew this person, and it was incredible what people will think and what they believe. So I guess what I'm saying is. The reparations comment to me is is irrelevant. I, if they're going to go after him for something that he's done that they have that's tangible, that's fine. But more than anything, I think they need to focus on finding a credible candidate because I don't believe that they've done that so far. I don't believe that they've they've helped themselves um, at all because they're waiting for the the. It's almost like they're waiting. The problem with Democrats are. They don't know how to energize their base. They need to energize their base rather than trying to figure out how the independents and maybe some of the fringe conservatives are going to turn on the Republican Party. That's kind of what they're waiting for. They're waiting for this, like, smoking gun 
versus crafting crafting a, a, a way to to revitalize their base. That's what they need. They re, they need to re-energize their voting base rather than than, than playing the game of well, everybody's going to turn against Trump. That's obvious. That that's gone out of the window, and people are okay with what he says and what he does because his approval rating, while it's lower than say most presidents, it's not it's not getting any lower. So it, it's kind of got its floor, and 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 so that's where we are right now. You mentioned uh, it would take probably for uh, Senator McConnell to admit he likes to fondle kids in order for him to. Uh, lose and you also talked about how powerful he was and i wanted to touch on both first on how powerful he is when obama was still president and justice scalia died obama nominated i believe it was mary garland and mcconnell is the one that did not allow the senate to even vote on the supreme the next supreme court just he held that seat vacant until trump was elected and so that's that's just like one sliver of power he has. He has a lot of power. As far as if he were to ever admit, and if we're speaking hypothetically, we, you know, he definitely not associating him with this. We're just using it as an extreme example. If he were to admit funneling kids, I don't even know if that would work, Frank, because you and I are both from Alabama. We saw what happened with Roy Moore. Roy Moore was uh, a movie theater, a movie theater audience size you know, about the size of uh, how many people can fit in a movie theater. That's about how much he lost by with all the allegations about him going to malls and and, uh, approaching teenage girls and stuff. It was so bad to where he was banned from a mall and his supporters still said it was a lie and it was made up and they voted for him. So I'm not even sure that would work. People are so entrenched in their positions. Uh, You look at and I don't like the plan overall of targeting Mitch McConnell because I just think that base, the conservative base right now, they don't care about the character of their politicians. You look at Greg Giafonte, uh, the newly elected congressman in Montana, days before his election, he beat up a reporter for asking a question, doing his job. He simply didn't like the question. He beat up a reporter. It still was uh, elected. And of course, we know what's going on. You know, with the uh, president of the United States, you mentioned the uh, the tape that came out. So people just really don't care. And it's just going to take people showing up to the to the polls, unlike they did um, in 2016. Now, those of you who listen to rap music, you may be familiar with uh, DMX. And I am I was a huge fan of him. His back in his heyday. And he, you know, he mentioned a lot of crimes that he did growing up before he became a rapper, most of it robbery. And he almost never got caught. And the one time he did get caught, it was for a crime he didn't commit. He happened to be sitting sitting in the wrong area. Someone had just got robbed. I guess he fit the description and they wound up arresting him for it. And so I bring all up, bring all of that up to say that our next guest has a similar story just like that. He was the mayor of Miami Beach. He did a lot of bad things. Um, he mentions it in his book, Sins of South Beach. He did a lot of bad things. And when he was finally taken down, it was for the one thing that he actually didn't do. But, you know, the case mounted against him and he wound up having to plead guilty to it. Alex Daoud, we're going to talk to him and uh, get your thoughts on the other side of this interview. Check it out. Listen up. 
It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. Joining us today on Politically Entertaining, he is the former three-time mayor of Miami Beach. He's the author of Sins of South Beach. Uh, Mr. Alex Dau, did I pronounce that last name right, sir? You got it right. Please call me Alex, though. Okay, well, I, I want to thank you for joining us today, sir. Um, in your book, a book that I read and I, and I really enjoyed, you really, uh, you exposed a lot. You told everything. And my first question to you is, were any relationships ruined from what you revealed in the book? Or did anyone remember anything different? Did anyone come up to you and say, hey, Alex, you know, that's not how it happened. This is how it happened. Were any of your relationships affected by uh, the writing of this book? Well, first of all, Byron and Frank, I'd like to thank you for having me on your show and uh, the kind words about our book. As far as, yes, uh, relationships, uh, as you know, the, the book tells the true story of corruption, violence, murder, and the making of Miami Beach. And uh, I use real names, real crimes, and real people, and uh, – there were a few romantic scenes that uh, many of the young ladies that uh, were mentioned came back and said, well, it really wasn't that as good as what I thought it was. <laughs> you know, you embellished quite a bit on that. But you know, besides that, uh, uh, political life is a very, very strange life. It's hard for the average American to understand what politicians go through and uh, what transpires. And uh, I, I just uh, um, was hoping that I could reveal some of the inner workings of politics so that the average citizen, uh, our, our, our uh, average voter and a, our, our, our fellow American could understand what transpires in politics behind the scenes mm -hmm. uh, and, and what really occurs. Exactly. And I um I happen to be a huge boxing fan, Alex, and in reading your book, you know, I saw that you had the pleasure of uh, meeting and being friends with Muhammad Ali. You, you ran, you ran and trained with him uh, some nights on Miami beach. And I was wondering uh, if you had any, I guess, I, don't, I guess funny stories uh, with your dealings with him. And have you been in touch with the family at all since his uh, passing a couple of years ago? Well, you know, Byron, it's a great thing. Um, Muhammad Ali, besides being what I consider the greatest of all times yeah. in the way of athletes, was just a wonderful, wonderful person. The average individual never realized when he was uh, saying, I'm the greatest, I need to fight more. He was putting on a show. Uh, Mohammed loved to to get publicity and build up uh, a, a fight. And uh, I at one time wanted to be a fighter, and uh, I uh, uh, I used to spar with Mohammed. And, uh, and when I was sparring with him, I used to always try to make him laugh so he wouldn't hit me. <laughs> and uh, I'd always try to say like, I float like a butterfly, I sting like a bee. I'm the greatest of all times. I'm Muhammad Ali. And he'd look at me, you know, and then throw a jab. And I'd say, this going to shock and amaze you. I'm going to retire, Joe Frazier. And he'd look at me and he'd go, white boy, you do me better than I do me. Stay away from my wife. 
<laughs> and I never, ever forgot how kind he was. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he always he didn't travel with a posse. He didn't travel with a gun. And he really lost for the best years of his life, sports-wise, uh, uh, when he unjustly was prosecuted for not going in the military mm-hmm. and speaking out against a war that we really shouldn't have fought. You know, it was a horrible, horrible war that divided our country. And Mohammed had the courage to take a stand, and it cost him a tremendous amount. Wow. Um, how you doing, um, Alex? I'm, I'm Frank. I'm jumping in here. I have – I'm going to make it a little more serious, I guess, now. Um, so I'm, re- I'm going to reference here an, a book sign you did at Books on Books and Coral Gate. It was probably like about a decade ago. Um, and, and you spoke very frankly in that um, kind of book signing. You talked about how Fidel Castro was the reason why for the influx of criminals that kind of came into uh, the country from Cuba and, and also Jimmy Carter being complicit in kind of letting those people in at the border. I guess now that all that has been cleaned up and you detailed how you cleaned all that up in your book, do you feel like anything like that could happen again in South Beach where, where it, could, it could regress? Where you could have an influx of criminals, or do you think that could happen anywhere else in the country? Like, what do what do you how do you feel like the state of South Beach is now safe, or or is it just one incident away from kind of falling back to where it was before you became the mayor? Well, you know that, that, that that's a great subject. Uh, the issue today is, I I believe that politics is so volatile today, and uh, our standing in the country. And in the world is is so precarious that it's anything is possible. Uh, we have many many individuals and 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 people uh, coming into our community, and unfortunately, we had an influx of Castro's criminals. And we had a predominantly elderly, uh, predominantly uh, defenseless uh, majority of senior citizens that were debilitated and annihilated by Castro's criminals. They were some of the worst criminals we ever encountered in our community. In one year, our crime rate went up 600%. Our homicide rate went off the charts, and we were ruled for population to be the number one city in crime. So I, I, I think there is a very strong possibility, Frank, that this could definitely happen again. If the climate is such that we're duped, again, the way uh, President Carter was, into, to, you know, trying to let everybody come in to our community and, and, and into our country. And it cost us billions of dollars. One time we had the largest in Miami Beach, Holocaust surviving population. And this was a beautiful community. I mean, it was our grandfathers, grandmothers. And these criminals came in. They raped, robbed, murdered without any regard for our laws and, and for the individuals that were living here. So We've got to keep our guard up in that sense. We really do. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, 
I want to hit on another subject that that's kind of close to home. You know, I'm, I'm a father as well, and I know that you know in recent years there was an issue with your daughter Alexis, and there was an issue over a home and things like that. And I know that the judge did rule in your favor uh, regarding the home, but um, were you able to repair a relationship with your daughter? And if you weren't, are, are, are you working on reconciling that relationship? Well, I would love to reconcile a relationship. I'd love to reconcile all relationships. Unfortunately, uh, she sued her brother, and it was uh, my daughter, Kelly. And when she sued my brother, her brother, my son, it, it the damage was irreparable, in my opinion. And unfortunately, this all arose from the fact that she married a former federal judge uh, by the name of Paul Hyman, and he forced her to sign a prenup agreement. And it was very unjust, and she asked my opinion of it, and I explained to my daughter, I really didn't know that much about family law to get someone that's an expert. The guy came back and said it was the most unconscionable agreement he'd ever seen, and eventually she went back to her, her future husband and said, well, my father recommended that I do this. So the, the bonds are, unfortunately, I believe at this time, irreparable, but hopefully, you know, all things... Time heals all wounds. So hopefully we will get back together, though, Frank. Okay, definitely be praying for you. I mean, I understand, um, you know, being a father. I, I, I read what you said. You said I, you were you were happy about that, but you said that you still love your daughter. And I think that's something that parents can identify with. Even when things go wrong, they always have love for their children. And I think that's just an important thing that you show, like, um, and it's, it's evident in your interviews and when you talk that you, you care about your family. So I think that's I just wanted to touch on that. Right. That's 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 definitely true. You know, it's 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 hard with families today because, you know, I grew up in an era where no one went into a church, a synagogue, a school and started randomly killing people. I, I, I mean, to me, this is insanity. And, and, and on top of the insanity is is the fact that, I mean, some some states, it's easier to get a driver's license than it is to get a license to own a gun. And and, and I, I think there has to be some balance between the rights of good citizens to own weapons. But there has to be, you know, checks and balances on, on, on issuing and selling guns to people. Agreed on that. We we are speaking with Alex Daoud, the former mayor of Miami Beach, also the author of Sands of South Beach. We uh, definitely appreciate him being on here. Alex, uh, our current president of the United States, he is constantly in the news, uh, being accused of something, being pretty much, in some people's opinion, I would say found guilty of a lot of things. When you look at, you know, this current political climate, not just this administration, but the political climate all around, and you think back to your days in office, and for those that haven't read the book, you know, Alex had a very, I would say, you know, controversial administration as well. When you look at his administration, do you look at it as he's getting away with a lot of crimes, or do you feel like he's being unfairly attacked by the media and, and different uh, government officials? Well, first of all, I think, you know, in politics, and every politician is scrutinized, which is good. 
Yeah. I mean, it's it's needed because, you know, we have to know who we're voting for and who we're electing and who we're, we're, we're supporting. So that's a very good factor. I, I think in regard to uh, uh, President Trump, his tactics are, in my mind, absolutely incomprehensible. Uh, I've never tried to attack people. Uh, I've never tried to go out of my way uh, uh, to talk negatively about anyone. And and I think the one thing that comes to my mind is when they had the rally of the Ku Klux Klan and uh, uh, the American Nazi Party, and 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 and, and these individuals. I'll try to use a nice term. That was started Bennett's. attacking anti anti protesters and beating them. And when they asked him for a comment, he said, "Well, it was wrong on both sides, or something similar." It, it, if a human being cannot condemn the American Nazi Party and the Ku Klux Klan, something's wrong. You know, something is basically basically wrong. Uh, what they represent is absolutely horrific. Uh, that is the worst, worst part of humanity is, is the hatred and, and, and the vile, absolute discrimination, racial, religious, and, and of natural origin that a group can go ahead. So I personally am very disappointed. You know, I, I'm very disappointed in, in the tactics that are being used today, and I'm disappointed in, in, the manner things are going, we're very conflicted. You know, it's 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 really sad because um, um, I supported President Obama and uh, President Clinton, and uh, uh, to be honest with you, I mean, I, I thought it was a a much nicer political uh, um, atmosphere for all of us. I mean, President Obama had no scandals. I mean, they kept trying to raise something about a birth issue that was ridiculous. I mean, he never once went out and, and attacked anybody and anything else. And uh, President Clinton, I mean, they tried to uh, absolutely impeach someone about having an extramarital affair. And, you know, I, I, I don't think, you know, that's an area that I'm not – interested in uh, i don't care about the sexual orientation i don't care about that. that's between a husband and wife and a gentleman usually never discusses such things anyway but right. i think the whole climate in our, our country has gotten very toxic and it's sad it, it's it's really sad and i, I think you know? we, i think we can all agree that <laughs> the obama administration versus this administration is definitely like night and day and even if you're a trump supporter you can agree that it's been completely different from the uh obama administration um i want to get you out of here with this one last question uh you went sure. from you started out as a um, city commissioner you uh you practice i know you practice law you tried to get a law firm off the ground and of course yep. we know you you were a three-time mayor you met plenty of celebrities what is what is Alex Dawu's life like now uh, compared? I mean, because you had I, you had the type of life that should be made into a movie. And I know the book even mentions 
that it will one day probably be a movie. So what is your life like now compared to back then when you were a politician? Well, that's that's another great issue. To be honest with you, I, I mean, I enjoy my life today. Uh, I'm under the radar. Uh, people don't scrutinize what I do. Uh, people don't attack me. I think one of the greatest things I did and was very controversial at the time is we renamed the hall where Muhammad Ali won his first heavyweight championship against Sonny Liston uh, in Miami Beach to the Muhammad Ali Hall of Champions. Put up a great plaque, and we had a beautiful ceremony where the uh, heavyweight champion of the world, Evander Holyfield, came in, uh, various uh, 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 respective athletes throughout the whole area, Angelo Dundee and uh, my buddy Pinklin Thomas, the former heavyweight champion of the world. And that was very controversial at the time. I mean, going back to that time, you know, uh, nothing in our city had ever been named after an African-American. And, and here we we're going ahead and, and we went ahead and did it. And it was just such a good feeling and, and, and such a, an absolute wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, event. And I, I think I'm proudest of that, uh, what we did. And as far as my life is today, you know, as Bob Hope once said, thanks for the memories. Uh, you know, it's a new generation has come forward and, uh, they can go ahead. But I, I just really enjoyed being mayor. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of good friends. I'm still in touch with the former heavyweight champion of the world, Pinklin Thomas. Uh, I've been in touch with Muhammad Ali's son who's okay. living down here. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I really enjoy it. Uh, you know, and and best of all is now I don't have to worry about what I say or try to count votes or worry about being reelected or anything else. Uh, now I, I can just tell the way I feel. And it's 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 kind of a freedom that you got to be very on guard when you're a politician. Uh, you know, I mean, you're you're open today to to so many attacks that it, it it's really sad. A lot of them are justified, but a lot of them uh, aren't. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know? So, I, you know, it, it's really, really sad, in my opinion. You know? You know, and, and you know. Uh, one of my favorite quotes was by Dr. Martin Luther King. When he was asked by a reporter once, they said, uh, how do you think a human being is going to get to heaven? Or how will God judge us? And he looked at the reporter, and there was a sadness on Dr. King's face. And he, so he knew that his time was limited. He said, I believe God will look at every human being, not where they stood during periods of comfort and convenience, but where they stood during periods of conflict and controversy. And I think it's all of us as Americans, our obligation, our duty, our requirement to vote in every election, to regardless of what it takes, if we don't vote, we're absolutely deterring and, and destroying our system of democracy, which is very sacred. And I look back at the elections and, and how easily things could have changed, especially in the last presidential election. It just more of, our, our voters had come out and voted. Uh, things would be different today. That's exactly and, and, and I hope, 
I hope in the future that people realize that, you know, you know, they say, oh, it's only one vote. That vote is a catalyst for other votes. That vote shows the spirit that I care, that I'm willing to put some skin in the game so that our country, our communities, our cities will be better tomorrow than they are today. It's something, something Frank and I try to. I was saying I was gonna say something Frank and I try to preach all the time on this uh, podcast about the importance of voting. So uh, we, and, we definitely agree. You know, and Byron, there was a great question that was posed by President Reagan when he was running for office, and the question was this: Are we better off today than we were three years ago when President Trump was elected? It's a very simple question. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you can answer, oh, yeah, we're better off, uh, to me, we've taken a terrible downturn. Uh, we, we, we've lost a lot of humanity. And most of all, if you look at the hatred and the racial, religious, and social attacks that have taken place uh, since the presidential election, it's horrible. It's horrible. People praying in churches, attending schools going to synagogues should feel safe. They shouldn't be living under the threat that a horrible event or a horrific catastrophe can take place where innocent people are killed. Yeah, and uh I would I would just say that um racism no longer is hiding in the shadows and whether or not people want to blame the president on that, I'll leave that up to them. But it's definitely in my opinion a, a fact. Uh, he is the three-time mayor of Miami Beach, and I just want to say Miami Beach is one of my favorite places to visit. And just hearing, uh, you know, when you answered Frank's question about Castro releasing 125,000 people to Miami, 12, almost 13,000 of which were like criminals and rapists, Miami Beach was a very dangerous place. And it was just interesting to read the, the streets, the ocean drives, and the Collin Avenues and the and the the different places that I like to walk when I visit down there were were so dangerous back then, and the turnaround began with in a lot of a lot of cases with you from it being as dangerous as it was to being a place where you can film Miami Vice or Bad Boys, and it's a, a tourist destination again. So I think for that people that visit have um, a lot to thank you for in that regard. And Frank and I, we definitely appreciate your time making time for us today. Hey, I want to thank you, Byron, and thank you, Frank. And uh, hopefully the next time you uh, come down to South Beach, we'll be able to go and uh, uh, visit uh, Lincoln Road and visit some of the places. We have a lot of eye candy down here. So <laughs> it'll be very enjoyable for us, too. <laughs> well, of course, you guys are young and handsome. I'm old and fat, so, you know. You'll yeah. enjoy it a lot more than I can. Definitely. I want to see that mansion that you uh, had moved into at one point. So Come down here. I'll be happy to give you and Frank a tour of our city, our community. And thank you so much for the kindness about the book and about our community. All right. Thank no you. problem. You have a good one. Thank you, my friend. Be well. This book was tailor-made for me. I love South Beach. I'm interested in politics and who doesn't like sex and violence. If you've ever enjoyed the strips of Ocean Drive, Washington Avenue or Collins, 
this book gives you more appreciation for Miami nightlife. It wasn't always what you see in a Rick Ross or Lil Wayne video today. Alex takes you on a journey in an inverse parallel manner. As the city gets brighter and better, he finds himself getting more corrupt and damaging. In the end, you'll find that if you love life in South Beach, whether living or visiting, then you owe him a thank you. We all do. Thank you, Alex. Great job and great book. That was a review I left on Amazon for Sins of South Beach back in September of 2012 when I first read his book. Uh, Frank, I know you attended Miami University. I hope I'm not disrespecting it by not calling it the U, but I'm a Florida State fan. And I just can't. I mean, it's, it's in University of Miami would have been better, but I'll, I'll let you know. And I know your sister lives down there. So in your time down there, were you familiar at all about the past corruption of uh, Miami politics and and just, uh, you know, how the city was built and how many people were corrupt? Back in the 70s and 80s? And um, not not, not really. I'd say other than like Scarface. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, right. Like that was that was pretty much. Oh, yeah. I mean, that did happen. Like he, he like I said, Alex put to he put to worry a lot of the things that maybe people don't know who, who didn't who, who didn't live down there during the time. Because if you're born when we're born in the, in the 80s, you're not going to really know know about all that stuff that happened. And so, you know, by the time I went to Miami, it was 1999. So it was already the she- turning into the chic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, where it is the last 20 years, you know, in 1998, that's when Will Smith had that song Miami. And everybody's kind of like, Miami? Oh, yeah. Because Miami wasn't even a thing even in the 90s, really. It was like kind of near the end of the 90s and 2000. The aughts really, really took off. Everybody was all about Miami. So I think... Um, you know, it's 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 an incredible. He, he has an incredible story. Um, like I said, I he has his. If if you haven't read the book, he also has a YouTube interview where he does a book signing. It's uh, five different parts. You can look up um, Alex Daoud, uh, Sins of South Beach, and it's like you can f- look at the different parts, and it's pretty cool. Um, just hearing him talk about his story and being a politician, and just just like I said, great story, great interview, great guy. Yeah, he did wrong. Uh, but he served his time, and, and I think that that's all we can ask. People, you know, they serve their time. We have to, and now he's out living a productive life, and, and just he's gracious enough to give us a great interview and just share with us the history of, of an area that's that's so popular now that we have no idea how it used to be, that you wouldn't want to be anywhere near that. But now it's like the place where everybody goes. Absolutely. We're, uh, we're going to give you some uh, Game of Thrones talk in a minute, but... Uh... Transitioning from a local politician in Alex Daoud to national politicians, before we get to Game of Thrones, uh, I want to know your early impressions of these Democratic candidates that we have. Uh, it seems that Kamala Harris of uh, California, Joe Biden, and I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, Pete uh, Betajic, uh, he's the mayor in uh, Indiana, uh, South Bend, Indiana. They seem to be like the uh, the top candidates at the moment. Who um, who's piqued your interest the most so far out of the 20 plus candidates vying for the Democratic nomination to be president of the United States? Can I answer none? <laughs> you can. Um, you can. I'm 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 underwhelmed, horribly underwhelmed. Um, uh, yeah, Mayor Pete. I'm not gonna try to pronounce his last name. I don't want to butcher butcher it. But I'll call him Mayor Pete. 
I mean, he has some decent ideas, some interesting ideas, some interesting philosophies. Um, Kamala Harris, you know, some like something about her I can't put my finger on. I have a friend who I really um, trust, and he was showing me pictures. Like, she dated a, a much older man for a long time. Yeah. And then she kind of marries this guy, and he was showing me pictures of her and her husband. I'm not trying to go into that, but what I'm saying is it, it looks like she's married just for the political process. I don't know that there's anything in that marriage. Now, I'm not trying to say that there's love in every marriage. People, I'm just saying people get married for different reasons. I don't, I don't, there's something about her whole story that I don't know if I trust. And I know it sounds crazy because like, oh, you're dissing a black woman and, you know, she's black and you should support her. And I'm not saying I wouldn't vote for her. I'm just saying that she's not wowing me right now with, with what she's pr- presenting. Um, you know, Cory Booker, you know, I have, I have another friend who calls him discount, uh, you know, discount, I don't know, value discount Obama or discount value Obama or something like that. So like, Obama light. Yeah, like <laughs> he, he's he's not doing it. And, and, you know, Biden, to me, he's too old. Like four years ago, I think that was his time. I, and I grant, I know that his son passed and obviously I can't imagine losing my child and I can't imagine what they would do to me at any age. But I'm just just speaking real, frankly, that I just feel like he's too old for the office, and that is, you know. So I don't think they have any good candidates. I don't. I don't think right now I'd say Trump is going to get reelected. In, a, in I wouldn't say in a landslide, but it will be in such a way that it's never even in doubt. Like it was kind of a shock, I guess, when the blue wall got broken with Clinton. Mm-hmm. But but this time it will just be like. I just it will just be like a slow march to the to the slaughter, you know, to be like, well, they're not, you know, I, I, I don't see, I don't see a candidate hitting that divide with the independents. And that's really what you got to look at. Can you get the independents and maybe the, some of the fringe people on the edge of the conservative that are willing to kind of be moderates? Can you pull them in? I don't know that any candidate right now is doing that because they're so far left with where they are because they're trying to maybe oppose kind of the populist stuff. See, Donald Trump is not even like a true conservative candidate. He's a populist candidate. And so, you know, what's interesting is Generation Z, and I was talking to someone else about this uh, today, Generation Z is hyper-political, very politically aware, and they are not necessarily like all about the democracy. So the populism thing kind of actually flies with them. So then you're like, I mean, the granted they have a smaller voting block, but you you can you can see now where a candidate like a Bernie Sanders or a Donald Trump in the future will continue to exist because now we've elected a, a populist president. So it's 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 only going to get worse. It's only going to be more and more either right or left leaning, and so that's the danger where we are right now because we've gone to the populist kind of president. We're kind of now past like. Okay, yeah, let's everybody kind of govern back towards the moderate, right? That was everybody's goal. Even if you don't like, you know, Bush one, Bush two, or if you're on the other side, you don't like Clinton or Obama, they all tried at some level to be moderate. Whereas we have this president who's just like, I don't care about any of that. I don't care about toning down my rhetoric. His rhetoric was, was is the same as it's been in an election year. Um, he doesn't care about you know, mending fences with and, and governing towards the middle, like the moderate is dead. The moderate is, 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 is dying. And so I, you know, to me, if it can be captured, these candidates aren't even working on it. 
So I don't like any of them. Um, I don't like what they're doing um, with their platforms. I feel like there's not enough issues being addressed as far as economically. Um, there's not the social security issue is to me a huge issue, which still hasn't been addressed. Um, I guess it just won't be addressed. I guess one day we'll just get less social security than what we're putting in. There's a retirement crisis looming. There's a crisis with inflation and the dollar um, potentially looming. Another housing crisis, and then and we're and we're and we're, and we're not handling any of this. Um, and and I'm disappointed with that. So I just feel like the Democratic Party is just in a really weak place. And and that's the problem. With the Democratic Party is because they rely on people. If they don't have the best people, it's kind of like the, they're kind of like the Los Angeles Lakers, right? They don't have a real f- framework. Or strategy, they but they have good if they have good candidates, they have a chance. So like now the Lakers have a chance this year because they have Davis and LeBron James and and some other you know complimentary pieces, right? Mm-hmm. But other teams have been building like infrastructure, like the Clippers have an infrastructure. They add stars and or Toronto last year had an infrastructure. So it's like to me the the conservative party has an infrastructure. They have an ideology they follow regardless of who the person is at the. At, they might not like love the person at the front of of of, of the um party but they follow the ideology regardless of how they feel about the party they follow it and so to me unless you know the democratic party can kind of find an anthony davis you know and maybe a lebron james so to speak to like kind of it's like they got to find some a superstar to boost them and i don't know that that exists i don't know who that superstar is obama was a rock star and biden was a great co-star he was a solid respectable man and and that was and that was what won them the 2008-2012 elections who who is who is that combo this year what am i missing who are those people this year of everybody that's running uh i would say right now and it's just so it's still so early but right now my favorite is probably uh kamala harris but i i spoke on her even before she announced uh her running i just read about you know her uh um her office in California, but Harris has the unique position. In addition to the problems that you mentioned, you have with her, she's in a unique position to where she was too tough on crime for liberals, and she wasn't hard enough on crime for conservatives. So she has really got to find a winning case to convince them people. Because I've seen a lot of people say, literally say, she locked up too many black people. And I've, I've seen other people say, well, I don't like what she did as far as uh, she did too much to help uh, convicts and felons and to get out of jail. And she supported, a, I think, a cop killer or something like that. So she's definitely got to find a, a, a winning message. But um, it's going to be interesting to see. My other question to you was you mentioned uh, you don't think they can beat Trump. I'm kind of a little different on that. I mean, call me crazy for falling for it again. But I really do think. And Alex Daoud talked talked on this in his interview. You know, so many people stayed home in 2016. For those that stayed home and thought, well, I don't really like Hillary. I hate Trump. I know Hillary's going to win, so I can make peace with not voting for her and knowing that Trump is not going to get in office. For those type of people, I think they will show up because they we now see that someone like Trump can win. And if you look at the total amount of votes that he won by in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Florida. Those are the three states that carried him over electorally. I really think a lot more people will show up this time and won't take for granted that he won't win. That could be a naive 
point of view on my part. But my question to you is, what's more, what's the most important thing to you? Is it a candidate that can beat Trump or is it a candidate that has great ideas? Like which one, if you had to pick one or the other in a candidate, do you want somebody that you know for certain can beat Trump or you want somebody that, you know, can really govern and will bring great ideas to the table? Man, it's it's amazing that I, I can't. It should be both, right? Sure. Like if you can yeah. beat Trump, it, it should be both. I mean, I guess if I had to choose one, <laughs> here this is gonna sound crazy. Trump is bad, but we haven't seen the worst president yet. Um. And so I would say that it's important to get somebody who has good ideas on the ticket and with, with, with some real things. Even, even if they don't win, they can't execute it. To have something that is going to get people. I mean, I guess it's like it's hard for me to answer that question because like if they have good ideas, people get excited. Then then they'll, that candidate would be able to win versus somebody who can beat them. Like there's, you can't just beat Trump at being a bully. Like he has a, he owns that. Right. Like you can't beat him at his own game. You're going to have to beat him at being, you know, you're going to have to just show that you're a better candidate. So I guess I'm going to maybe punt on the answer and say I'm going to go with somebody who has great ideas and knows how to govern. And, and, and then hopefully that would correlate into also being somebody that would beat Trump, because I think at this point, people aren't I don't know what's going to beat Trump. If, you know, from a standpoint of if people don't get excited about the person, uh, certainly from, you know, the, the um, moderate to liberal side, I, I you know, what's going to increase the turnout? You know, yeah, Hillary Clinton was uh, was unpopular. I get it. But she was still known. I mean, if you get Mayor Pete and Kamala Harris, is that going to get more people out than than um, Kane and, and Clinton? I don't know. I'm just saying that. What are the what are the big draws that they have? Who are the big draws that they're gonna you know, put on the ticket? So, I would say um, right now just focus on the platform of what you're gonna present to get people excited, and then maybe that will turn you into a candidate that will be able to defeat uh, the, the incumbent. So, before we get out of here, we uh, we started this podcast a little over three years ago. Uh, it was 2016. We were leading up to that election. And I remember one of the shows, man, you use an example from uh, Game of Thrones. And at the time, I wasn't watching it. And I have since gotten into the show. I've watched I've watched seasons one through seven, maybe two or three times, because it, there's so much that you can miss in that series. Um, so, I, you know, I, I caught up and I checked out season eight, the final season. And my question to you is. What happened? What happened to your show, man? What what, what happened in that final season? Or, or did you like it? I know some people still may have loved it. Um, I had some issues with it, but I want to know what grade you gave it first. Okay, before I say anything, if you haven't seen season eight <laughs> Game of Thrones in the podcast now, if you if you ever want to season eight or any Game of Thrones in general, if you haven't well, watched it, you can. You can cut it off here. We're going to end the show kind of after this. So you can cut off the show here. Um, so I, I did not like it. I'm not going to lie. Um, here's, here's a couple things that came up. One is the writers, um, 
got panned because they were apparently doing Star Wars. People felt like they mailed it yeah. in because they were doing Star Wars. That is a common criticism, and, I, and I, if that's the case, I think that's just that's horrible to me. That's that's the worst thing that could have been done is that they truncated the show. Um, HBO and George R. R. Martin felt like they needed a full two seasons to draw that show down. So they the writers chose to truncate it and make it 13 episodes. And I think by doing that, they cost us the ending that we really deserved. Um, some people have a problem with what happened to Danny. I don't have a problem with what happened to Danny, which is the way it happened, how it happened. It wasn't plausible based on, um, you know, what we had come to learn about her and see about her. And this is not from a feminist perspective at all, because, I mean, I know that people are coming from, they were strong feminists saying, hey, you know, you killed a woman, she was on her way to rule. I'm just saying it wasn't consistent with her character. And that, to me, is, 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 is the most damning thing, is that it was not something that, it, while it was something that could have happened, the way they drew up drew it up, it wasn't realistic. And so it just took a lot of air out of what, to me, was a great show. Um, you know, the, they, there's so many things they could have done with that season, including battling the Army of the Dead. There's a, a YouTube channel that has a great idea for the eighth season. I'm like, they should have hired that guy. <laughs> um, you know, he talks about, he, he, he flips the whole season on the head. I'll give you a couple of highlights. One, he talks about extending the Battle of the Dead, having having them lose Winterfell and have to come crawling back to Cersei. Yeah. Right? And then allowing that to play out. And then Danny becomes a sympathetic hero by having to bend the knee to Cersei to get her to get her people into safety into into the Red Keep. And then you can take the rest of the thing from there and kind of, you know, uh, and then and then eventually there, you know, there there was um, there there were some other twists in there, but basically, just a lot that they 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 mailed in. I feel like um, with with the last season, and and we there was so much expectation on it, and that's why I think people were so disappointed because we had waited for so long. There was seventy episodes leading up to this, and the last six, uh, particularly the last I guess four, really 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 fell flat and. Uh, and then obviously the ending yeah. was just was just was just so disheartening. And um, you know, honestly, I have I have you no know, God has given me an excellent memory. I have not watched any of the episodes or shows. I pretty much remember them all. I will never be watching this show again. Like I, I that that ending soured the taste of it all so bad. I have I'm not interested in watching the show. It, it's, it's I completely bad. agree with you on Daenerys' uh, storyline. Like even if they were gonna have a character turn that way. You spent seven and a half seasons building her up one way, and then in literally nearly one episode, she completely flips the battle with the the White Walkers. Couldn't see anything. Uh, I brought that criticism up to some friends, and I guess they're so diehard they criticized me for saying that. But I mean, you couldn't see. I mean, <laughs> it was terrible. And Cersei, who was like a great villain for the show, they. They did nothing with her in season eight. And a lot of the reveals from her pregnancy to finding out that uh, Jon Snow was really a, a Targaryen, they they had no payoff whatsoever. It's like they meant nothing. So you built all that up. So you, you touched on most of it. So I, I don't want to beat it up too much further. I did want to ask one last question. Who did you want to get the Iron Throne? Because I think we all can agree Brand of Broken is not something any of any of us were here for. 
I thought I was always gonna should have gone to John John Snow. Um, I feel like there could have been a narrative where Danny either may have died or she may have ceded the throne to him seeing his character but they didn't you know just last aside they didn't even to me they didn't even develop john's character like they should have in the last and either he was a truly noble and sympathetic character and, and he was he was he was the right character to rule even though he did not want to rule they didn't develop they didn't put him to the point where he just because he didn't want to rule he did he he should have accepted to see i do need to rule like they danny's character should have been frayed to the point where john said he understood he needed to rule and 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 that would have been to me the better story of him understanding that was even though he didn't want to rule he was fit to rule um and and so i would have been fine with him being on the iron throne i thought that that would have been the best outcome and and not and not necessarily dying but just an overall understanding that he is basically the chosen one like he united wilding and and you know noble and they fought and it's like he people would see what he did and and, and respect it so I, I felt like that was where they were trending but you know to have him be exiled and it just it was just so too much. game of thrones is eight full seasons long and it had a lot of great moments i will say this about season eight and that episode that I complained where you couldn't hardly see anything, I do think Arya had the biggest moment of the entire series by what she did. And if you go on YouTube, you know, a lot of people have these reaction channels where you can watch people watching it like at a bar, a group of people, and you watch their live reactions. And it's just great, man, for her to, like, jump out of nowhere. Everybody's cheering. And then the Night King turns around and grabs her, and it's like, oh, no. And then she pulls the last move off at the end. I think, in my opinion, that had to be the best moment of the entire series. It's just too bad it had to be in a season that was probably the worst of the series. But can't win them all, I guess, man. So with that said, again, I want to appreciate everybody for tuning in, man. You know, Frank and I, we do this for free. We do it because we we love it and we want to inform people. So we definitely thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, Google Play. Please subscribe. That way you can get the episodes as soon as they're uploaded. And give us a rating. Give us a five-star rating, too. Please don't be a hater and give us a four or less. Don't be a hater. Give us five. Subscribe. And tune in to us, man. We appreciate you uh, listening to us. And I'll uh, let my man Frank take us out. Just want to reiterate what Byron said. Definitely subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Give us a rating and a review. Um, we just, we're just grateful to be back. Thank God, just that you know we definitely took some time off, but we're still happy to just share our perspectives. We thank you for listening, taking the time to uh, support us. We don't take that for granted. Uh, we're excited to be back. We look forward to bringing you more episodes really, really soon. And we'll see you guys soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates. Thank you.